Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There, so we're going to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm conscious that I've got um, more to say than normal this morning. But don't, don't um, I think the reason why that is, is because I'm very conscious, and I'll, I'll mention this, I'm very, so Deuteronomy chapter 6, page 185. I'm very conscious that there's lots of complexities that we're considering. And I think uh, that takes time to unpack and to be sensitive and careful um, about so Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, for those of you uh, who uh, forget where we are or are visiting, we're working our way through the Ten Commandments, and we've got up to commandment number 5, and we'll look at that in Exodus 20 in a moment. But this is the restatement of the place of the law of God um, to the Israelites by Moses just before they enter the Promised Land. So they're looking out over the Promised Land. Deuteronomy is written uh, looking out. Mount Nebo. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Thanks be to God for his word. Is there a door to that? I'm just wondering if we can shut the... I think... There is. Great. Well, let's just pray, shall we, as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you so much that by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be born into your family. We can know the creator of the universe as Father, as Abba. Well, thank you that because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his death, we are included as brothers and sisters in the family of God. So Lord, please would you speak to our hearts this morning wherever we're at in our family situations, please would you comfort our hearts with your reality, the reality of your fatherhood, your parenthood of us, and draw us to know you and love you, we pray. Amen. Well, I'm glad that on uh, Father's Day, uh, we're considering this commandment, number five, from Exodus chapter 20, I'll just read it 
Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It's, it's good to be reminded of that commandment, isn't it? Because it's a commandment which is uh, repeated in the New Testament. And as we've been seeing in the Ten Commandments, these weren't commandments that people had to keep in order to have a rescue from God. They had been rescued by God from slavery in Egypt and brought on eagle's wings by the, the gracious love of the rescuing God into a relationship with him, which if they were to enjoy, they were to obey the Ten Commandments. And, and so for, for us, we can be reminded that it's not by keeping the Ten Commandments that we are rescued by Jesus. No, he has done all that is needed. He has obeyed the law for us. He has taken the curse of the law in our place so that we're forgiven and clean in God's sight. We've been carried by the hands of Jesus into his family by his grace alone, simply by trusting in what Jesus has done. And yet if we're going to enjoy that relationship we've been set free to have with God as our Heavenly Father, with Jesus as our brother, as well as our Savior and King and Lord, then we need to grapple with how God's law applies to us today. And particularly this fifth commandment, I think it is so applicable to us. And, and yet on, on this Father's Day, we come with mixed emotions, I would guess. I'm very conscious of broken relationships with our own fathers amongst us, of feelings that we may have that I, that I share as, as fathers uh, of our own failings. And, and as parents, we may feel a certain degree of guilt. Uh, for some of us, our parents have passed away, and for others, we're very thankful for the role of our parents in our lives. And so hearing what God has to say about our relationship with our parents and with our children is not without challenge to our hearts, is it? Which is why I want to take a bit of time this morning. So there's the, the normal, if you like, brokenness of life, which affects our relationship with our parents and our relationship with our children. And then we throw into it the place that we live in history. And that just brings new layers of complexity, does it not? We've already talked about some of them, social media. Uh, the way in which the media in general and the state in particular is seeking to cut that link between parents and children. Uh, when Mim and I were thinking about what the children were watching when they were little, there was a program called Tracy Beaker. I don't know if you've come across it. It's not that positive about parental authority. But that kind of cultural influence has passed to the great cultural leader that is Peppa Pig. And this is all the, obviously the authors of Peppa Pig. This is a quote from Peppa Pig. Blah, blah, blah. That's how daddies talk. But can we see what's going on in that phrase? Daddies aren't worth listening to. Now, uh, this is a quote from uh, the conservative woman, and I'm, please don't think that I agree with everything that the conservative woman says. There's lots that the conservative woman, which I would fundamentally disagree with. You can ask me about it later. But 
This is, and this is not just sort of um, conspiracy theory. Uh, I think many of us uh, would agree with this. Evidence is growing of a calculated strategy of targeting and indoctrinating children in the West and of minimizing parental influence. Designed and directed by an unseen hand, the plan involves capturing children at the earliest possible age and brainwashing them into supporting the prescribed acceptable views. They then quote how uh, nursery leaders in Scotland are being encouraged to teach children in nurseries, that's preschool, that gender is non-binary and that obviously they need to discover their own gender identity. So that's two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds. Now, I think there's two dangers as we recognize the complexities and the pressures on children and on parenting. I think this, the first danger is that we bury our heads in the sand and pretend that it will all go away one day, that we don't need to deal with it if we're going to be good parents or good grandparents or good children, grown-up children. We can't bury our heads in the sand. We, we live in a time in history which is revolutionary in the West because there has been the rejection of Christianity. Secondly, I think that the other danger is that we put our heads in the sand, or the, the, the other danger is that we flail about thinking that this particular aspect of the culture war is the only battleground on which to fight. And we think, well, we're, we're not going to be able to win, so we just sort of panic and fear rather than have positive response. And I hope that what we will look at from God's word will, will encourage us that there's a positive response for all of us in the church family, that we need not fear and we need not bury our heads in the sand. So how are we going to respond? Two points. The first is this. Fathers and mothers, teach and train your children in the Lord Jesus for their blessing. Fathers and mothers, teach and train your children in the Lord Jesus for their blessing. And that's something we're all involved with not just those who are biological fathers and mothers. Uh, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to begin at verse 4. So it's more of a, a logical order than the order of the passage. So verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, Paul is intentional about that first word. And we know that he's intentional about that first word because in verse 2 he's quoted from the Old Testament, honor your father and mother, uh, the, the fifth commandment. And he could have easily said parents or fathers and mothers, but it's not what he says. He uses the Greek word translated, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean for a moment that Paul is denying that mothers have a role in teaching and training their children in the Lord. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, of Timothy. He says, uh, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, that's Timothy's faith, which first lived in your grandmother 
Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am now persuaded lives also in you. His mother and his grandmother had brought him up in the faith. They taught him the scriptures, because he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, how from infancy, Timothy, who is a church leader, has known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and useful, he says to Timothy. But where had Timothy heard the scriptures? From his grandmother and his mother. Not from his father. His father was a Gentile. We know that from Acts, who was married to the Christian Eunice. So Paul is not saying that it's not the role of, of mothers and grandmothers. He specifically says that in, in Titus that, that those are older amongst women are to teach the younger women how to care for their families, to love their children. And that must include what he records here is passing on of the scriptures, teaching the scriptures. But Paul does give the responsibility in chapter 6 verse 4 to fathers so if we're a father or a, a, a grandfather, there is a responsibility placed on us not to exasperate our children or grandchildren, but instead to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And of course, as grandfathers, there's a distance to that, but it doesn't mean grandfathers can't have a role, just as it doesn't mean that grandmothers like Eunice can't have a role. So are we growing in our knowledge of the instruction of the Lord as fathers or grandfathers? Do we know what to pass on? Are we able to train if we have children under the age of 18? There is a, an aspect of training, isn't there? And okay, we might say that 18 is a sort of bit of a arbitrary age. In the New Testament, it was 13 when you became a man or a woman. And there's this new thing called the teenage years. And we know that things change, but training doesn't stop when somebody reaches 18, does it? it Maybe different. But are we training ourselves, men, here this morning, if we are fathers or grandfathers or hope to be? Are we training ourselves not just to know what the Bible teaches, but to do what the Bible teaches? That's what training is about. I mean, people can pontificate about football, can't they? And, and just different formations and what people should do. It's a very different thing being able to do it on the pitch. That's training. It's action on the basis of knowledge. So are we training one another, helping one another in our godliness. And I think here, particularly if we're involved in education, which, as you know, I was, I think we can make a mistake. The old adage of lecturing is knowledge passing from the notes... It's, it's, you can see it's a bit old. Uh, knowledge passing from the notes of the lecturer to the notes of the student without passing through the minds of either. That's not teaching. Teaching, according to the Bible, passes from the heart and mind of the parent, mother and father, into the heart and mind of the child. Let's just look back at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, which is page 185, if I remember rightly. Are we all there? Great. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know, there's the first two or three commandments summed up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your heart. And with all your soul, that's everything you are. And with all your strength, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And so impress them on your children. Talk about that when you sit at home, you know, when you're watching TV. When you walk along the road, maybe you are coming here, you can talk about church and what it's about. When you lie down, when you're putting them to bed at night, read a Bible story. When you get up, when they get up. In other words, this is a heart, whole of life kind of thing. And the way in which the Israelites were to remind themselves day in, day out, was to never be able to be out of sight of God's word. Tie them as symbols on your hands. I mean, if they're, you know, if they're on your hands, you're going to see them pretty much every minute of the day. And bind them on your foreheads. I don't know why that was probably to remind one another, because they didn't have mirrors. Write them on your door frames every time you go home. On your gates. Be public. This is, this is over your house, if you like. So teaching and training is about the heart. And the reason why mothers and fathers were to teach and train their children in this way was so they may enjoy long life. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 1, these are the commands, the decrees, the laws of the Lord your God directed me, that's Moses speaking to the people, to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. What does fearing the Lord mean? Well, it means keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. It's the same language that we've seen in Ephesians chapter 6, isn't it? Paul applies the fifth commandment and the commandment as expounded in Deuteronomy to the Christian community in Ephesus and says that this is for long life of our children. Why? Why is long life the blessing? Two reasons. One is fulfilled in Christ well, both are fulfilled in Christ, but, but one has passed away, if you like, and the other is still with us today. The first is the Mosaic Covenant. The promises of obedience to the commandments, which Moses brought from the top of Mount Sinai down to the people and then reiterated in Deuteronomy, were long life and victory in war and fruitfulness in childbearing and abundant crops and protection against being eaten by wild animals. I don't think those promises are still in effect today because they've been fulfilled in Christ. We're no longer a people linked to a land with blessings of fertility and victory in war. We're a global people now with different blessings. And disobedience under the Mosaic Covenant meant shortness of life, defeat, barrenness, crop failure, being eaten by wild beasts and exiled from the land. And you, can, you know where the history of Israel went. It all went that way. But the, the, the second aspect of this promise is the fruit of wisdom, which we find in the Proverbs. 
Proverbs are full of the blessings that flow from obedience to parents. Listen, my son, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Or Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. That the wisdom of Scripture, the wisdom of the Old Testament fulfilled in Christ, because He is the fulfillment of all the wisdom, He is our wisdom is that obedience to parents who are passing on the wisdom of God, the fear of the Lord, is long life on the earth. So fathers and mothers, teach and train your children in the Lord Jesus for their blessing. Back to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. How how are we going to apply this? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And we've seen that doesn't exclude mothers, but it does mean that the fathers are given responsibility. Well, I think it's possible to believe this and then to take some wrong turns. And and I I have to say, I think, you know, Mim and I have taken some wrong turns in in our parenting, and we, we feel that we... Uh, would have done things differently. I don't know many parents who don't feel they would have done things differently. Uh, We're very grateful for the the grace and mercy of the Lord, and we continue to to pray for our children and long for them to walk in his ways, even though we did teach them the Bible and sought to love them and train them. I think it's possible to know this and yet turn to magic rather than the means of God's word. What do I mean by that? I don't mean, you know, we all get involved like Harry Potter in spells and whatever. I mean that we think to ourselves, well, they've, they've heard the Bible for half an hour on a Sunday. That'll do. That'll do. Now, it may have been the case 50 years ago because what people heard at Sunday school on a Sunday, obviously, they would have heard at primary school in their RE lessons as they were growing up. And then they would have heard at secondary school. I mean, in my day, RE, GCSE or O-level as it was, it was basically knowing Mark's gospel. I don't know whether that's still the case. I don't think it is. If there's indoctrination taking place now in our education system, it is in secularism not Christianity. So what is the solution? We've got to see what the means of children being trained in the instruction of the Lord is. And if our children are hearing secular philosophy day in, day out, if they're being encouraged to the ideology of the day, which is self-determination, expressive individualism. I decide who I'm going to be and what I'm going to be, and my parents can say nothing to that. If they're being indoctrinated in that for five or six hours every day for 14 years, do we think half an hour on a Sunday is going to do the trick? It emphasizes, doesn't it, how our family religion is so important. It emphasizes what we're seeking to do here at Cornerstone Church, that Christian education is increasingly important. We need to think of ourselves in a missionary situation, not a Christendom 
situation. What will that mean? Well, for some of us, it will mean homeschooling for as long as is possible. For others, it will mean the recognition that school will be so unhelpful, but that there's no other option financially, that we set up ways of educating our children and unpacking the things that they're being taught because God uses the means of his word day in, day out. And in busy lives, it's really hard, isn't it? If we're realistic... We struggle, I struggle, we all struggle to get the Bible into our heads. Life is so busy, and, and if we are struggling, then it's going to be even harder to get it into our kids' heads. And it's not just a head thing, is it? It's a heart thing. It's a life on life. Walking down the street, getting up in the morning, going to bed at night. It's what we're seeking to do with Roots and Shoots. It's a great place to start. Roots and Shoots is not a toddler group. It's the beginning of our Christian education at the earliest year, trying to teach them God has created all things and everything that we see day in, day out, the trees and the flowers and the birds, everything speaks of God and reminds us of God. Whereas at school, they will be taught that it's all godless and it just speaks of evolutionary theory. We need to be, as a church family, committed to the means that children grow up in the faith and not just think the word of God is some kind of magic that we get into their heads, heads once a week and then that will do the job. It won't. And it isn't. Use our experience, if you like. I've got many clergy friends who are committed to this, teaching their children, raising them in, in the Lord. And yet many have been captured by the ideology of the day at secondary school. So we need to be committed to means which is the word of God. Secondly, I think another way we can go wrong is that uh, we can think that the law of God and what the, the Bible teaches us here is some kind of private Christian thing rather than a public thing. And uh, who knows what will happen in the years ahead. As parents, we need to be aware of what our children are being taught at school. And we may need to resist. Particularly fathers, but mothers too. If our children are being encouraged at school to express themselves individually so that they're being encouraged to reject the authority of their parents and embrace the authority of the ideologues and the state who will encourage them to define their own gender, to define their own personality, to define who they are separate to their parents, and this is increasingly happening, and those of us in education will know it is, that is to allow them to be cursed. In other words, conversely, if our children obey us and honor us and learn the fear of the Lord, they will be blessed with long life. We'll think a bit more about what that means. But the opposite of it, if there is a wedge being driven between children and their parents, not only is it illegal according to the Human Rights Act, it can bring the curse of God because it leaves them vulnerable to being persuaded by all kinds of people who may not have their best at heart to take a path of destruction. And we see that. See, the law of God is not just for the church family. It's not just for the nuclear family. It is for society, for the state. And when the state rejects the law of God and tries to come in place of parents, 
it is bringing the curse of God into society. But it is also for the church family. It is for all of us, whether we're parents, grandparents, or not. It's a command, and I'm sorry I'm laboring this, but I think this is so countercultural. We've got to get our heads around this. Chapter 6, verse 4 again. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. In other words, the flip side of this is anger amongst our children. And that anger may be directed out, outwards in rebellion or inwards in depression. The, the opposite of anger is this training and instruction of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, it, it's clearly passing on the Bible, but it's a lot more than that. When Jesus asked who his family was, he answered, he who does the will of my father, the will of God is my mother and sister and brother. The way in which God's children are raised in biological families is in God's wider family, the church. I think it's an African proverb. It takes a village to raise a child. Well, there's much wisdom in that, isn't there? And if we were to tweak it a bit, it takes a church to raise a Christian. And it's so easy for us to be influenced by the expressive individualism in our parenting and think, oh, we, we've got to do this. It's blooming hard, isn't it? Yeah, we've never done this before. Why not use the resources of the church family, those who have gone before and raised their children in the faith and maybe learnt lessons about how not to raise children in the faith? And it has application for us as a church family, if this is true, and the fact is that this commandment is given to the whole, uh, in the context of, of the whole Ephesian church listening in on this commandment to fathers, then as, as a church family, we all have a responsibility to think, well, what can I do to help the children in our church grow up in the fear of the Lord? What's my role? Uh, research has been done in the States, I'll circulate it on the church uh, WhatsApp group, that the most significant factor in children growing up in the faith is not having a big church. It's not having a Christian youth group. It's not having Christian pop music. Do you know what it is? Intergenerational relationships. Grandparents in the faith looking after the the children in the faith. 20s and 30s having relationships with the teenagers. In other words, what the Bible says is true. There's nothing in the Bible about a church needing to be of a particular size. There's nothing in the Bible about peer groups. Oh, your children must have teenagers as friends. No, it's parents and church. And the Lord may bring people together who are specifically fitted and gifted to care for all he brings together. I don't know what this means in terms of when we want to talk about this, but it's interesting going to other cultures, isn't it? And, and you find that, a, and we've got to be careful about saying this because of safeguarding, and, and I get that, but are we too, too far the other other way, but a, a child is often 
disciplined by the community when the parents aren't even there. I mean, have you ever wondered why when Mary and Joseph left Jerusalem, it took them several days to work out that Jesus wasn't with them? There, was, uh, there has been, and in many parts of the world, the culture is everyone in the community is involved in raising this child. And so when the child disobeys their parents, it's not just a nuclear family thing, it's a whole community thing. And somebody might have a word with the child and say, look, come on, you're disobeying the Lord. Do you want to be cursed, you fool? I'm not suggesting we use that language. I don't know how we do this. But we tend to think, oh, you know, just nuclear family. There's an idolatry of the nuclear family, which is akin to expressive individualism, which says our identity is our nuclear family and our house and our holidays or whatever it is. No, our identity is the church family because we're in Christ and amongst his people. Here, here are mothers and brothers and sisters and grandparents. Yes, I know there's biological ones elsewhere. But that's what Jesus says is our family. And a final caveat. I said I was going to go on a bit longer. Forgive me, but I think you can realize that these are critical things for us and for many of us. Can you see what it says in verse 3? So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. This is a blessing. But I'm hesitant to say that it's a spiritual blessing. Clearly in the old covenant, the fear of the Lord, and in the new covenant, the fear of the Lord is linked with salvation. But can we really say, if parents do the right thing, their children will become Christians? And if parents do the wrong thing, their children won't become Christians. Is that how it works? I think we want to be very, very careful about making too strong a link. Because the blessings that are spoken of in verse 3 echo the blessings of the Mosaic Covenant, the life of wisdom, which is about living with the grain of creation, with the grain of reality. And we need to balance that with Acts chapter 2. So if you just want to flip back with me to Acts chapter 2. And I, I may have been guilty in the past of over-emphasizing this, uh, you know that I, uh, as an Anglican, we, we believe in covenant theology and uh, the baptism of infants, that there is reason to believe that the children of believers uh, will follow in the faith of their parents. But I don't think it goes the whole way because Acts chapter 2, verse 38. So remember that uh, Peter is preaching on the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church and people are asking, what, what shall I do to be saved? What, what shall we do? They're cut to the heart, verse 37. And Peter says, repent. In other words, turn away from living for yourself. Be baptized, every one of you. In other words, trust in what Jesus has done for you. In the name of Jesus Christ. And what do you receive? Well, you receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children. And for all who are far off, so far so good. But we forget that final phrase, don't we? For all whom the Lord our God will call. People will come to faith on the basis of God calling, God choosing. And Ephesians is full of that, isn't it? 
So that's the caveat. We want to raise our children in the faith, but there's the caveat of, well, the Lord needs to call them. He needs to choose them and show them grace. And if he hasn't done that yet, we pray that he might. We pray and pray that he might. So that's our first point, and by far the longest point. Fathers and mothers, teach and train your children in the Lord Jesus for their blessing. Uh, secondly, and uh, the reason why I'm not going to spend much time on this is because this book goes into some depth on this, and we're going to be looking at it when we get to that, that study about honouring our parents. So honour your parents in the Lord that it may go well with you. And uh, that pre um, predominantly, um, in terms of chapter 6, verse 1, relates to little children. I don't think Jen Wilkin has quite got that correct because of the word techna. And so I think Paul has in mind that the growing up children uh, more than the grown up children who, yes, we continue to honor our parents. So he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, Paul hasn't sort of momentarily forgotten that this is not the first commandment, it's the fifth. What he's saying is that for children, for little ones growing up, this is the first commandment. This is the most supreme one for them because it's through their parents that they will learn to fear the Lord, learn to worship only him, learn to pray to him. And of course, no child should obey their parent if they command them to sin because, well, that's not what this commandment means. Obey your parents in the Lord. So that presumes that they know something of what the Lord commands, that the scriptures are being passed on to them, and they can have some kind of understanding as they grow up what the Lord commands, and therefore to, to obey him as their parents bring that to them, and as they grow, continue to obey the Lord rather than their parents. Logically, reversing this command can be helpful, can't it? The message to little children is disobey your parents and it won't go well with you. Are we convinced of that? If we're parents here this morning, are we convinced that we have an authority given to us by the Lord for their blessing? Just a couple of things as I close. Uh, what are we saying to our children when they don't want to honor us or obey us? I presume that happens at every age. It can be too much about us, can't it? It, it can be too much about us and our wounded pride or, well, I've told you so. I wonder, because I look back on my own fathering and I, and I wonder, well, how much did I point them to Jesus? In Luke 2, we're told that Jesus submitted to his parents and obeyed them as the Son of God. I mean, he really was perfect, and yet he obeyed Joseph and Mary. I wonder whether sometimes we, we, we slip into this intellectual way rather than this heart way. Now, I'm no musician, as you know, but I, I think I'm right looking at the musicians. I think that an, an, an instrument has a, a natural set of harmonics. You know, you've got a guitar there, and if, if something's played, then it sort of picks up the natural harmonics of the guitar. Well, the natural harmonics of us all, of our children, is disobey, isn't it? 
we're all sinful, aren't we? So the only way the natural harmonics of a child are going to be changed is if God steps in and puts his finger, and I think I'm right in saying this, if you put your finger at certain points on the guitar, you can pick up different harmonics. There's no point in telling a child, well, you've got to obey. You can obey. Because they'll just say, I don't want to. But if we say to our children, Jesus perfectly obeyed. Would you trust him? Because the finger of God can come into your life and change what you want to do. And when you experience that, oh, there's, there's joy because you know that you want to do what you're being told, not just by your parents, but by the Lord. Of course, it's new birth. It's the new life. But are we pointing our children in that moment of the critical moment of obedience and disobedience? Well, you know, Will you cast yourself on Jesus? He fully obeyed. He can help you. God can reach into your heart and make you feel things that you don't want to do. In other words, are we reading chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, in the light of the whole book of Ephesians, where it's about God having forgiven us in Jesus, God having made us wise in Jesus, God giving us the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit who enables wives to submit to husbands, husbands to love wives, children to obey parents, slaves to obey earthly masters. No, I'm not going to go into that, but ask me about it afterwards. In other words, it's the finger of God reaching into people's lives, children's lives, that enables them to obey. Well, let's just pray, shall we, as we come to the end of this time, and let's Think about what the Lord has said to us through his word. These are complex issues. I haven't covered everything by any means, but I hope I've covered uh, sufficient so that we're looking to the Lord Jesus to be better fathers and mothers and grandparents and children to our maybe elderly parents, which uh, the book goes into in more detail. Let's... Let's come to our Heavenly Father and let's, let's pray. Lord, we confess before you that these matters of family and parenthood and honoring our parents, of being better parents or grandparents, strike to the very heart of us. Lord, how much we need your fatherly care how much we need to know your forgiveness, how much we need to know that strengthening of your Holy Spirit as we seek to teach and train our own children, as we seek to be an intergenerational church family that raises godly children. Lord, thank you we can come to you because you have rescued us in Jesus. You are our Father. We are your children. Please forgive us for not trusting in you and in your finger your power at work in our lives. And we come back to you and trust you as our God and Father. Amen.